Luke chapter 13 is where we're going today. The words are going to be up on the screen for you. I hope that you can read those up there. And I want to just take a minute while you're turning over there, if you brought your Bible with you, to say a welcome to you and to people who are listening to us. If you're live streaming this while you're on your way to the beach, I just don't know what to say to you, except maybe just enjoy this and eat some seafood for me. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Are those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone one more year until I dig around it and put on, put on manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think I might have mentioned before that I grew up on a farm. We raised cows, um, but I can't really call myself a cowboy for this reason. We didn't have horses, I, so I couldn't ride, and I couldn't rope and do the fun cowboy things. I couldn't get along with little doggies and things like that. Uh, I didn't get to wear one of those big 10-gallon hats and do all those fun things that I wanted to do. See, I always kind of wanted to be a cowboy, and when I was a little boy, I begged my mom and dad to get me a pony because I thought that just looked like it would be fun. We got a Shetland pony, and I swear that Shetland pony was possessed by the devil. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's the meanest animal I've ever seen in my life. So, um, so that kind of went with me when I got a little bit older and I went to college. It was right about the time that that movie Urban Cowboy came out with John Travolta. Anybody, y'all remember that? The mechanical bull and all that? So me and my, my two uh, friends, Nikki and Craig, decided that we were going to be Urban Cowboys too. So we went and got us some boots, got fitted for our boots. And then my friend Nikki had a friend who had a barn who had some horses. And so one afternoon we decided we were going to go and be real cowboys and ride. So we go to this barn and we go in the barn and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get this cowboy swagger and everything, you know. I'm really trying to pretend that I know what I'm doing. I got my boots on, got so far so good, but then I have my Boston Red Sox cap on just because I looked absolutely awful in every cowboy hat I tried on, so I had my Boston Red Sox cap on. And I go in, and I'm trying to be all cool in front of my friends because they're city slickers as far as I'm concerned, and I'm the country boy. So I'm supposed to know what I'm doing in situations like this. And I pretended up to the point to where it got dangerous <coughs> because we had to start saddling the horses and I literally knew nothing about saddling the horses. So I humbled myself and asked the owner of the horses to help me. The reason being is 
that I could see myself putting it on wrong and being halfway across the, the, the trip and then starting going like this and not turn out well. So he helped me get it all put on. And then since I was already kind of in the humble mode, I thought I'm gonna, it was time to pick out the horse, right, that we were gonna ride. So I picked out the oldest, slowest looking horse, safest looking horse I could find. It was a mare named Bertha. That was gonna be my ride. So got up, up on the Bertha in the saddle and ready to go. And so out the door we go, just three urban cowboys heading across the field. Everything was going great. The horses seemed like they knew where they were going, which was helpful for us because we didn't. And so we go across the pasture over the little field thinking how easy this cowboy stuff is. Our destination was going to be the other side of the pasture by a horse apple tree. Horse apples, they have a scientific name, don't know what they are, these little green lumpy looking things that horses like to, to eat on. Um, and so that's where we went, under the horse apple tree. Horses are happily munching on horse apples and we're just thinking how easy this cowboy stuff is and maybe we ought to just do that for a living, you know, just ride the trails. We finish up with the horse apples and we start headed back the way that we came. Everything was going fine. We were just casually walking along. I was thinking what a good girl Bertha is. This, this is just great. We're best friends until we top the hill and the horses see the barn. And then we go from a casual walk to a fast walk to a gallop. And I want to tell you what, the gallop is not pretty if you have no idea how to ride a horse. I was bouncing all over Bertha like, like a rag doll. I was holding on for dear life, screaming, whoa, Bertha, whoa, stop, Bertha, stop. Where is the brakes on this thing? I mean, I want, nothing I did, nothing I said. Bertha did not turn to the right. She did not turn to the left. She had her face set to the barn and nothing was gonna stop her until we got there, which we finally did. I was able to hold on until we got to the barn, at which time I got, I said a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And then I got off of Bertha and I walked like Festus from <laughs> But Bertha taught me a lesson that day that there are some times when you need to have your face set and your goal fixed and you don't need to listen to anybody else to distract you or to keep you from reaching that goal until you get there. Um, there are times when you absolutely need to say the course. We talked about this a little bit last Sunday. We're talking about the journey to Easter and Jesus in chapter 9 of, of Luke, in verse 51, it said that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And, and at that point, there was nothing or nobody that was going to stop Jesus from reaching his goal. Now, not to say there weren't going to be obstacles. There were. And some of the biggest obstacles that Jesus would face would be the crowd of people that was around him, his, his very own followers. They could be really obtuse. Uh, sometimes they really got things wrong. In chapter 9, not long after Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, they were traveling along, really, they're on the journey, and they sent messengers ahead to get arrangements made in the village they were going to, to, to stay the night because they didn't have phones and they didn't have, you know, Priceline and Hotwire and all of that 
stuff to make reservations, they sent people actually up ahead. And the, they went to this village, it was a Samaritan village, and they wanted to get a place to stay for the night. But the Samaritans found out that Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem, and they knew that there was a price on Jesus' head, and people were actually trying to kill Jesus. And so they said, we don't think so. You guys are not welcome here. Go away. And so the messengers came back to Jesus and told him what they had said in the Samaritan village. And then two of Jesus' followers, James and John, two of the apostles, James and John, James and John had the nickname the Sons of Thunder, which I always thought would be a great wrestling team name, the Sons of Thunder. They said this. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Uh, Jesus must have slapped his head in frustration. Jesus rebuked them. He didn't rebuke the Samaritan village. He rebuked James and John. The very idea that anyone would think that Jesus wanted to get what he wanted by violence or by threat of fire and brimstone falling on somebody's head. So what did they do? They just went to another village. They just went on to another village. And then there was the obstacle of the would-be followers, right? The wannabe followers. Their shallow commitment. Jesus would following along with his disciples and somebody came up to him and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said these words in Luke 9, 58. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, are you really sure that you want to follow me? Another person came up to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go and say farewell to the people back home. And Jesus said these words in verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I've already told you that I didn't ride horses on the farm. I, I drove tractors. I didn't plow with a mule, though. Now, my mom and dad plowed with a mule, with, with the holding on, you know, and the G and the haw and the giddy up and all the... I know the concept, though, and I can imagine that you could not plow with a mule if you were looking back over your shoulder. It just wouldn't work. I don't even think you could be, do a very good job plowing with a tractor looking back over your shoulder that way. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. There are times when you have to set your face toward the goal, toward the kingdom goal, and not look to the left or the right. But there are other times when a U-turn is absolutely required. You've got to do it. Now, we have a churchy-sounding term for U-turns, and we call it repentance. We talk about it a lot at church. We talk about it a lot, especially during the season of Lent. We start talking about it on Ash Wednesday, right, when we put the ashes on our forehead. It reminds us that we are mortal. We come from dust, and we go back to dust. And then it also reminds us of a practice that they had in the Bible of repenting in sackcloth and ashes. So repentance. Maybe we think we know what it means, but I want to make sure that we really know what true repentance is. Here's what true repentance is. It literally means to have a change of mind and to have a change of heart and then have a change of direction. A change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. If you don't have all of that, then you don't really have repentance now, do you? 
I spoke to you earlier about a time that I got on going on the interstate the wrong way. I could have had a change of mind. I could have said, you know, I think I've gone the wrong way. But if I never had a change of heart and a change of direction, then I would have ended up in Birmingham instead of where I was trying to go. Change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. Repentance is something that Jesus talked about and preached about from the very, very beginning of his ministry. Matthew 4, 17, some of his first words in ministry were, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is right here, right in your face. So change your mind. Change your, have an attitude adjustment, right? And then Jesus talked about repentance at the very end of his ministry when right before he ascended into heaven in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 40, verse 47, he was telling them what their message was going to be, and their message was going to be this, repentance for forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in, the name, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the message. That's the good news. You can change directions when you need to. You can change. So repentance at the beginning, during all during his ministry, and right at the end before he ascended into heaven. And here's the thing about repentance. It's not a one-time activity. It's a lifestyle. It's a whole mindset. It's, it's a way of living. You know why it has to be that way? Why it can't just be a one-time thing? It has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a mindset because... In case you haven't noticed, we regularly make the wrong turn. We regularly miss the mark. None of us goes God's way all the time. All of us need to make a U-turn sometimes, not just some of us. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We all got to adjust. We all got to make course corrections. And Jesus illustrates this, that it's about all of us and not about somebody else by telling three stories. Now, some of these stories are pretty tragic, right? All three of them, really. One is a story of just a senseless massacre. Remember, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, right? And there were some people who met him and told him in verse 1 in chapter 13 about this senseless massacre. And we don't know all the details about it. We know who instigated it. We know that Pilate instigated it, Pontius Pilate. And even if... Even if we didn't have the New Testament, we'd have some information about Pontius Pilate from some of the historians, Josephus being the main one. Uh, have you ever heard of Josephus? He's not the twin brother of Bocephus. He's a historian who, um, who wrote during the time of Jesus, and he writes about the things that Pilate did. Everybody hated Pilate, the Jews especially. They thought he was awful. And one of the reasons they thought he was awful, this is just an example. They, they needed a new aqueduct in Jerusalem. And what Pilate did was he took the money from the temple treasury to pay for the new aqueduct. That would be like the mayor of Gadsden saying, we, we need some new water pipes. And, uh, oh, I'm going to take the money out of the Methodist church's budget to pay for it. Uh, so what do you think we would do? Well, we would be all upset and we would probably protest, wouldn't we? That's what the Jews in Jerusalem did. They protested and they rioted. And you know what Pilate did? He sent in the soldiers with clubs and with swords to beat and to kill the people. That's how he put down the riot. So it's not hard for us to imagine 
how this group of Galileans that it talks about in Luke 13 went to the temple to make their sacrifices. And for some reason, Pilate thought that they were, maybe he thought they were going to riot, maybe whatever he thought, he sent in the soldiers and they slaughtered the people who were there to make sacrifices to God so that the blood of the people mingled with the blood of the sacrifices of the animals they were offering in worship to God. Killing people in the very act of their worship. This is something that we would like to think would be just something that happened 2,000 years ago with a, with a crazy governor of Judea. But it's something that's all too close to our day and time. I think about two weeks ago when some people gathered together at a mosque to worship in Christchurch, New Zealand. And a 28-year-old man who's described as a white supremacist came in and literally while the people were on their knees bowed in worship, he opened fire and killed 50 people, injured 50 more till their blood was spilled in the very act of worship. Now this happens not just in Jerusalem and not just in New Zealand. It happens in the United States. It happens in other countries. It happens all across the board. And it makes you wonder why. Why? Why something like this could happen? And the answer in the Bible to that question of why was it happened because they were sinners. You see, the, the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the mentality, and sometimes people still think this way, God help us, but people think that if something tragic happens to somebody, if something awful happens, that it must be because they were sinners. It's the old, it, it goes back to the time of Job, the oldest book in the Old Testament, where Job's friends came and said, you know, Job, you really must have made God mad this time, otherwise you wouldn't be suffering like this. And Jesus did his very best to dispel that kind of notion during his ministry that, that just because tragedy happens to somebody, that it doesn't mean it's because that person was a sinner and God was smiting them. Because you and I know, we have enough sense to know that sometimes we make bad choices and it ends up in suffering in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love. But we also know, don't we, that there are people who are, who are doing their very best in, in living just wonderful, saintly lives who suffer in unimaginable ways. So it's not a guarantee that that suffering is connected to someone's sin. It's not about them. It's not about them. It's not about those people over there. That's where we get into trouble when we think that it's those people. It, it's those Galilean worshipers in Jerusalem. It's, it's those Muslims over in New Zealand. It's not those people. Jesus asked the question. He said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? And then he answers his old question, his own question with a great big no. Of course not. Of course not. So let's, let's bring this a little bit closer to home to us. Are the Christians who are being persecuted around the world, are they worse sinners than the Christians here in Gadsden, Alabama? Of course not. Of course not. So Jesus' response to this is unless you repent, you will perish as they did. Now, I always wondered about that until I started looking more closely at what he said. You will perish as they did. Jesus was talking to this group 
who was traveling to Jerusalem. He was talking to this group who wanted him to be a Messiah that was going to kick out the Romans and take over as a political leader. He was talking to this group that was just on the verge uh, of having a full-out rebellion against the Roman Empire, and he was telling them, this isn't, this isn't about dying and perishing in hell. This is about you keeping up this crazy notion that you are going to fight against the Roman Empire, and if you keep wanting to take something that's heavenly and take it by violence, you're going to perish by the sword. And Jesus' prediction came true in 70 AD when Roman soldiers came to put down the rebellion in Jerusalem and they leveled the whole city. And Jesus' prediction when they stood at the temple and they were looking how beautiful it was and how the columns went up there and Jesus said, there's coming a day that one stone will not left be left upon another. And they thought, he's crazy. What is he talking about? But that's what happened. Talk about terrible consequences if you don't take a U-turn. Then Jesus told about a story of a tragic disaster. He references the Tower of Siloam where it fell over and 18 people were killed. And we don't really know the story about that, but apparently they did. You know, things happen and tragedies happen and disasters happen. And it would be like if I said, do you remember what happened on March the 19th of last year in Jacksonville, Alabama? Y'all remember what happened in Jacksonville a year ago? Of course we do. The tornado came through and forever scarred the town and flipped everything upside down. They're still trying to rebuild. Or if I said, do you remember earlier this month what happened in Lee County, Alabama? And you'd say, of course I do. An even bigger tornado came through and it killed 23 people. I haven't been down there. I saw the pictures. It was unbelievable. But Jesus said, were those 18 people who were killed when that tower fell over, do you think they were worse offenders than anybody else in Jerusalem that day? Well, of course not. So bringing it closer to home to us, were those people in Lee County worse sinners than the people in Etowah County? Is that why the tornado hit there and not here? See how crazy that thinking is? It's not those people over there. It, it's not those people that need to repent. I want you to hear this because this is the heart of the message. It's all of us. It's all of us. We all need to have a change of mind sometimes, a change of heart. My neighbor doesn't need it more than I do. We all need it. The third story Jesus told was about a fruitless fig tree. See, this man planted a fig tree in his vineyard. Apparently that was good for the vineyard to plant the fig tree there and for three years he went back and forth looking for fruit on the fig tree and didn't find any and after doing that for three years he kind of got tired and he told the gardener go ahead and cut it down why are we even letting it take up space why are we wasting good space in the vineyard with this fruitless fig tree and the gardener said well just hang on a second just let me dig around it a little bit let me put on some Organic fertilizer, he says manure. I thought I'd make it a little bit nicer. Let me, let me fertilize around it, and then let's see after a while if some fruit comes. Let's give it one more chance. Let's give it one more chance. The thing about parables is people hear it, 
and they get to take it and they get to apply it. And they get to see what it means for them. I was thinking about Jesus' listeners. What were they thinking when Jesus told them this story about the, pear, uh, the fig tree? And I was thinking about the connection between Israel, the nation Israel, and the fig tree, and, and the prophet Joel, and different places like that. And I was thinking about how Jesus himself, in his three-year ministry, had been, had been going to, to the nation of Israel and had been trying to get them to see for three years, just back and forth and back and forth, not much fruit there in his public ministry for Israel. He couldn't get them to understand that the kingdom of God was in their midst and it, that it wasn't an earthly kingdom. It wasn't a political kingdom with armies and chariots. It was a, a kingdom in the hearts of men and women, that it was a peaceful kingdom, that it wasn't about a military coup. But that tree didn't bear any fruit, you see. And you know what the sin of the tree was? sin of the fig tree wasn't that it did something bad it was that it did nothing at all it just didn't do any fruit at all it, it just sat there it would be as if someone came to church week after week after week and year after year after year but didn't show the fruit of a changed life You want to hear some good news? See, when the gardener says, hey, let's, let's give it one more chance. Let's, let's put some more fertilizer on it. The good news is, if you can hear this today, if you can read this today, then you've been given another chance. I've been given another chance. I've got one more chance to hear the good news. I've got one more chance to change my mind. I've got one more chance to adjust my attitude and my heart and my direction and go God's way. I've got one more chance, and you do too, to bear fruit for the kingdom. So we got a chance. And I want to close with the immortal words of Yogi Berra. Can you tell I'm ready for baseball season? Yes, I am. Yogi Bear said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Let's pray. Lord, we know that there are times that we need to press on and to forget what's behind and to press on what's in front of us and to not turn to the left or the right. But we know that there are other times, Lord, when we need to adjust our course, when we need to think again when the direction that we're headed is not the way you want us to go, when the mindset that we have is unfruitful. Give us grace, Lord, to hear, to change our minds, to change our hearts, to change our direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our closing hymn is about Jesus calling.